Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 57 of Inking Out Loud. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined by the ever-reliable fount of knowledge that is Drew McCaffrey. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? <laughs> I figured you'd appreciate that one. And we're making another return is Pat the Sound Guy, Mr. Patrick McCaffrey. Pat, what's up, man? Hey, I'm, if Drew's the fountain of knowledge, I'm the fountain of... Expertise. Wild and erroneous opinions. <laughs> erroneous? Come on, man. Let's at least wait till we hear your opinions before we make that call. And here, Potentially. in front of us, lies the 11th volume in Robert Jordan's celebrated Wheel of Time fantasy series, Knife of Dreams. We're going to be covering everything up to right. and through chapter 19, which is vows, for our discussion today, so... Drew, it's time to take it away with a recap of what we have read for this week. Uh, how long do you want me to make this recap? Because the recap of the first half of this book could be an entire episode. Yeah, so <laughs> I would appreciate Let's longer, see. if you don't mind. So uh, we start with our standard, at this point, prologue, catching us up on doings in the White Tower. See, I already have a problem. <laughs> what do you mean by standard? This, well, what, this is what on the Robert audiobook Jordan it was does. almost four hours long. This prologue, I was like, "What bullshit?" Uh, it's a little shorter than the uh, Crossroads of Twilight ep- uh, prologue, I believe. This no. one is only ninety-five pages. <laughs> no way, it was shorter than Crossroads of Twilight prologue. Really? Crossroads of Twilight was a hundred pages. This one is ninety-five. Yeah, you know, Crossroads of Twilight all blends together. Okay, sorry. Like, continue. Anyway, but but I want to talk about like when I say the standard, I'm saying like what Robert Jordan does with his prologues. So we're already getting into style before okay, we go to the sorry, synopsis. Sorry, continue. I'm a little buzzed from the episode we just recorded. He's catching us up on the doings away from our main characters. He's he's aligning the timeline from the events of the previous books up to where we are now. And it starts off with Galad, who has learned that Eamon Valda uh, raped more gays. He shows up, challenges Valda to a trial under the light, i.e. a duel to the death. He kills Eamon Valda and becomes the Lord Captain Commander of the Children of the Light. Which is a spectacular scene. And uh, other scenes in the prologue, we have some catch-up at the White Tower, both with the Black Aja Hunters and the doings of the Aja Heads. Um, We have Galena... And the Aiel, uh, which is hmm, fun. <laughs> I have uh, more to talk about there later. We have Surath finding out that uh, Rodel Itaralda, who we also get a scene from in this in this prologue, has set off a series of raids across Taraban uh, in an attempt to lure the Shanshin into a trap. Surath and General Galgan in Ebudar learn this news and appear to be planning to fall into the trap. Surath also meets with Semiraj and finds out that uh, the Empress of Shanshan is dead, along with all the rest of her children other than Tuan and most of the Imperial Court. Mm. Uh, There is absolute chaos, and as Semiraj (laughs) says, let the Lord of Chaos rule. (laughs) Meanwhile, uh, Perrin is still hunting for Fayil, trying to figure out how to free her. He makes a deal with Tylee Kirgan, one of the uh, Shanshan banner generals in the area. Uh, we go from there to Matt, where uh, his group of Aes Sedai and refugees are fleeing from Ebudar with Val and Luca's traveling circus. And Matt gives Tuan a horse, which is fun. 
and mm. more more importantly uh, figures out what Aludra wants with a bell founder and we find out how somebody has invented cannons uh, <laughs> yeah yeah and then he takes her to a bar and and clearly nothing happens there uh, and then we go to Elaine where she is trying to kind of wrangle the disparate uh, forces under her um, kind of liege in Camelin as they're under siege and uh, she gets a, a few new supporters and I th think from there we pretty much just go to Rand mm -hmm. and uh, and Nothing really happens with Rand. Nothing really happens with Rand. Nothing really no, happens. And nothing really yeah. happens there, with Matt. There's like a couple of... I think there's a couple of Trollocs that show up or De something. <laughs> yeah. Several. And nothing really happens with Matt. Definitely yeah. not one very specific thing that I want to talk about no. that happens from Matt's point of view. We find out that Moiraine is alive. Yeah. Oh, no, happy no, that didn't day. happen. That definitely didn't happen. That's me right here. Uh. That's 14-year-old Rob doing a dance around the kitchen table when he found that out for the first time. Hell yeah, yeah. So, and they're going to go so for this, this only took us like five minutes to go through that synopsis. Yeah. Uh, but uh, let's let's talk about style to start with. And okay. I want to bring up this prologue. Yeah. To start. Okay. Uh, you know, with, with what I had said, you know, we, we have come to understand that the way Robert Jordan treats prologues is other than the first book, where he treats a prologue as a true prologue. Um, his prologues are more of let me show you guys what is happening around the world outside of the purview of our main characters so that I can spend the focus of the real book on the Two Rivers group you know and Elaine basically yeah something that you could argue for example Brandon Sanderson does with his interludes right exactly right um, and a, another thing they both have in common is they provide a little bit of foreshadowing, or maybe mm. not foreshadowing, but context for events that are going to come. Well, there's up. some definite mm. foreshadowing in, in this prologue I want to talk characters. about. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, and that's really my only like style point for Knife of Dreams. I just wanted to drive home the very specific use sure. Robert Jordan has for his prologues because it is not typical of other authors' prologues. He, he has a, a deliberate use, and while some people may complain, oh, this prologue's 95 pages long, oh, this prologue's 100 pages long, it's like, yes, but would you prefer that he doesn't have that prologue there, and instead, throughout the course of the book, he just yanks you away from the points of view of the people you really, really <coughs> the Shadow Rising, perhaps? And, well, so, uh, I can't remember if we talked about this in The Shadow Rising, there was not a prologue. Yeah, we talked about that at the beginning because I made the mistake of thinking it was a prologue. Chapter one, but chapter one of that was essentially a prologue right. in structure it starts with to what we have here. It was catching us up with like Min and Surath and Elida, these characters outside of the purview of our main points of view, reacting to and making decisions upon the events of the last book. Mm. Quite, quite. So... Yeah. Yeah. I uh, don't know that I've found a similar style in many other authors, but I no. definitely enjoy it here. Um, it would be easy to say, oh, Brandon Sanderson does that, mm. but except you look at what his prologues are in, for instance, the Stormlight Archive, and yeah, they are not at all like this. Um, Martin has similar prologues in The Song of Ice and Fire. 
Does he? They're I not as know. long. I've only read the first book. They're not quite as long, but they are there. And it's it's very much along the same lines where it's characters that we're not very familiar with. Um, except it's hard to see how his prologues tie into rest to the rest of the books sometimes. Well, his prologues tend to be um, building the background story without mm-hmm. going into spoilers. Uh, we have, like, what was sure. it, Raymar Royce mm. in, in a Game of Thrones. Um, and that kind of lays the foundation for the series-long background conflict Mm -hmm. where the points of view characters are more focused on an immediate political conflict and things like that and so uh, for instance you you jump to a storm of swords and once again you have a prologue that deals with the background conflict and and so i can see some similarities there but it's not quite the same thing Mm -hmm. Hmm. well uh, diving back into the prologue of night of dreams here um yeah. I, I, I did just bring up very briefly um, this this foreshadowing that I want to talk about. Um, I, it actually, you know what? It might not be foreshadowing. It might actually be an idea, perhaps, by Brandon Sanderson or Team Jordan to highlight this line, perhaps, after Jordan's passing. I actually don't know. But, and I quote, during Rodol Iteralda's uh, point of view in the prologue here, he always looked ahead and always planned for every eventuality he could imagine short of the dragon reborn himself appearing suddenly in yes. front of him. Like, yes. uh, dude. I, I am 100% certain that that dude. was something Robert Jordan planned. Okay, because yeah. I, I just read that and all I could <laughs> say was, dude. <laughs> oh my god. What a move that was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, was, yeah, right. Really and, cool. and we'll revisit this in uh, in Towers of Midnight. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's a great, great thing to to point out here definitely um i do want to talk more about the galad versus valda scene you do yeah oh i definitely do because that one really and i don't know why but it resonated with me in a way that a lot of other prologues did not when i think of a prologue in the wheel of time i think of this one every time um but i I don't know why like i never really felt such like a righteous anger at that Mm. young point in my life maybe not on the half on behalf of a parent, at least. Nor was I obviously a talented well, blade master. Well, it's the master. one line. What's that? It's the one line. Like, like I wasn't enraged until Valda started talking. and Galad meet in, yeah. in, in the center. And, <laughs> and Valda's some, like, she's the best guy, ride yeah. I ever had. And I hope to ride her again. I'm just like... <laughs> right. Yeah. I, at that point, I saw it as... I saw it for what it was, though. That's, that's Valda trying to make Galad lose focus. Um, it's like a culmination of all well, of But our... it was truth, too. Oh, and that's I, I, what makes sure, it worse. I'm sure Morgase like, is a great lay, but, you know, it doesn't mean what... Well, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean it in that way. I mean it I know, as, I was like, Valda did it. rape her. Yeah. Like, I was making this light. is not one of those, like... You know, obviously it doesn't happen on screen in the Wheel of Time, but this is a thing that happened. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. This and isn't one of those situations where somebody in the Wheel of Time is operating on like incomplete information the incomplete information part of this is that galad thinks she's dead and she's yeah. not no the that's why I, part is like yeah valda abused her that's why i specifically made made note to say righteous anger when i was talking about oh yeah galad there because he has a reason for what he does and watching this showdown is badass it was badass it is badass and it will continue to be badass every time mm-hmm. i return to it because you have to think about what's going on here they're both blade masters and they're using identical forms they're taught in identical styles so like 
these two are united in, in a way in their in their struggle here but in like sitting beside that completely is this duality of their characters like no two men in this series are less alike that like one is righteous gentle silently implacable the other is an oily disgusting abusive and obnoxious man until his dying breath like i i hadn't expected to cheer for galadad Galadadrid, listen to me. I'm kind of drunk already. Galadadrid, the, the, the last one that we just recorded. Go home, Rob. Yeah. You're drunk. <laughs> a little bit. Galadadrid. I always said Galadadrid. Galadadrid. Okay, Galadadrid. Yeah, Galadadrid. Until this point, I had never been like expecting to cheer for him. He's not in my top five, nor is he in my top ten, but he's still at times mm. an incredibly written character. And I'm also drawing back to that point. I think he was in Fires of Heaven when he was carving a path through that mob there for Nynaeve and Elaine. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, so cool. It, it's only at this point that I actually really start to like Galad. I agree. Okay, fair, fair, fair. I agree with that perspective. too. The whole prologue fight between him and Valda is like, it's the culmination of all of the collective anger we have been building up over the series of about the hypocrisy of the white cloaks oh, yeah. and how someone should put a stop to it. And so it's very appropriate that it should be a white cloak who does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Symbolically, that's what's going on here. And then from this point on, that's when the children... This is like the children's redemption arc. And it makes right sense here. because Galad joined the children purely based on the book. Right. The original ideals behind the children, which in their written form were admirable uh-huh. were were good and it throws into stark contrast how corrupt and self-serving the children of the light have become very much so um as far as real world parallels for the children of the light what do we think well, like, the, the Crusaders, one that people the bring up is the Church, Spanish perhaps? Inquisition but that's more with the questioners than the Children of the Light. Okay, got you. Uh, I think, like, the Knights Templar are a reasonable... Okay, uh, Crusades? Yeah, yeah, we're thinking Crusaders. Okay, got you, fair enough. Okay, okay. Just wanted to make sure we were all on that same page. Right, right. Yeah, like, I I understand why anytime somebody brings up the, you know, a a meta-criticism of the Children of the Light, they're like, oh, the Spanish Inquisition. Mm. But that's only really the questioners. That's the yeah, hand that's of Asunawa's the folks, you know, and it, the core, the bulk of the organization, especially as we see it under Pedro Nile's mm. purview, is like it, that's more of a you know a, a holy calling to war rather than this like uh, ac- accusatory yes. Salem witch hunt kind of thing. Yes. Like, Fair and, and of course, there's a thin line between the two of them. But at least at this point in the series, that thin line is becoming starker and starker, and and it's you know driven home when Asunawa tries to assume control over the situation, and he's like, yeah, "No, no, we're not doing this. Down, tell though. me, tell me who you're accusing, and we'll handle it." Yeah. And Valda's like, "Goff." <laughs> no, and of course he engineers his own demise through that. That but, slimy, f- yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so we're we're glad they're dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're glad yes, this is exactly. who killed exactly. the master. Yep. I've only got one more style point that I want to say. Okay. Um, I found it rather interesting that we have this long section of narrative. Part, like, well, I should say long sections. We have one from Elaine here. That's five chapters, I think it is. But we actually have one from Matt during Knife of Dreams that is six chapters successively. Chapters mm-hmm. six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven are all from Matt's point of view. So I wanted to ask how yep. you guys felt about being in the head of one character for that long, despite how much you oh. like him. Rapture. Pure joy. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, this is a thing that we've been experiencing for most six of the series chapters, now. though, in a row. Six chapters. I mean, I would have long? to look up because I got the impression um, they're like three, four chapters at a time, maybe five, but six. Yeah, like if we're it seems rather about... long. I remember there was there was a couple times during my reread, and I was just like, "Oh, oh my god, Matt again already? Holy, still." Well, since the mid-series, and by that I mean... Not that I had a problem um, with it. I was just... By the mid-series, I tend to mean um, Shadow Rising through Path of Daggers. I mean, (laughs) Uh, we definitely have some extended, uh, you know, some extended sequences like that. There's a lot of parents in the Shadow Rising from what I can remember. Yeah, but that bounces back and forth with some regularity. And without dragging on to, for too many chapters, like yeah, you were like saying, three, like, three, I, like or three or four, yeah, exactly. And that's been the formula that we're used to, right? That's why I'm drawing a, a, an aside on this and saying six chapters in a but row. But it's a kind of a throwback to like Dragon Reborn and the Great Hunt, where we are getting the same character for a long period yeah. of time. And it, yeah, parent usually, and I, I'm just glad it's Matt because it's it's rare that we get. A lot of Matt right in a row. I mean, we had we had six chapters of Rand back in the Shadow Rising a couple of times. Yeah, but Rand is Rand is the character you started with at the very beginning of the series. So you like, I don't know. It's um, like, and that was still very. That was in the first third, first quarter of the series. Not first. Well, third, so third. I, I think when you say the first third, that that's that's important. This structure of like chunks of chapters for one character in a row yep. are usually in the first quarter to a third of a book. And then as we ramp up, those chunks get smaller and smaller. Because there's a, and then we a get like one to two chapter uh, climaxes. From. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Which is also why it's kind of weird here. I mean, Knife of Dreams, book 11, near the end of the series. You know, we're in the last third now. Well, no, but that's what I'm saying, is that this is uh, book to book. This is the structure that Robert Jordan has established, is that you should expect the first half or so of the book to be chunks of chapters dedicated each of the point of view characters. And then in the second half, you're going to have progressively smaller chunks given to them as they get into their climaxes, because he doesn't want to keep you away from characters for too long mm-hmm. when events start ramping up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can... Okay. Yeah, I see that. I didn't consider Fair that. enough. But that's a good way to put it. Okay. That's yeah. the end of my style discussion points. Do you have anything you want to get out of the way before we dive into the characters? There, I don't know. There's always been something about Knife of Dreams which 
strikes me as fresh. Yeah. Which is an odd thing to say for a book this late in any series, but yeah, 2005, I think. Um, it is. Uh, I think I remember waiting for this one. This is the first one I was actually there at the bookstore waiting for on the day of release. Really? Okay. Yeah. So this was the third one. I thought you said second. I thought Crossroads was the first one that you had waited New for. New Spring. Oh, okay. You're counting New Spring. Got you. Yeah. Um, I, I do agree with you, Pat. There is something of a rejuvenation to the plot, and even to people who push back on the idea of a slog. Mm-hmm. It, and I think I count myself among their number. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have a, a few times. You have to admit that there is a renewed sense of urgency in The Knife of Dreams mm-hmm. from the get-go, where yeah. suddenly it feels like events are moving faster. So here's And I think this prologue is a big part of it. So 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 to offer some some potential context here. Um I need to ask when was Crossroads of Twilight released? 2003? Oh, 2000 Yeah, it had to be 2003. Like late 2003? January 7th, 2003. Oh, January 7th. Okay, okay so, so late, yeah, I was saying late 2000. So there's at least yeah. two years in between the release of Crossroads of Twilight and this book, which for Jordan's, you know, admirable pace there for the first, you know, uh, ten series of his books. This one was this book. uh, three years, I believe. This was fall 2005, right? Uh, yeah, and this is 2003. Oh, fall 2005, so it's at least two and a half years, yeah. Do we think yeah. perhaps that this increase in, well, as, yeah, as well, Pat October put, 11, put it, 2005. freshness perhaps mm. could this be in response to the negative criticism from crossroads i i don't see jordan as one of those authors who pays much attention to criticism which is a really He's good an old fashioned point dude. in his favor yes. well it i agree there's a long discussion that could be had here about that but i think it's always best to just write what you want to write and if people like it good and if they don't well you're not kowtowing to people Sure. You're not making a product, you're making a piece of art. And art you, can be enjoyable to different people for different reasons. I think you briefly and talked I, about that on our Kane episodes as well, Pat. I think. Mm, I could it, be misrepresented. Well, something I, I feel well, passionately well, so about. So, to it. this point, I think there's an important thing to bring up, and that is up until Robert Jordan's death, he was adamant mm. that there was one more book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him saying he that. Intended, Even if it has to be a 2000. Word, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a quote from him. Yeah, so I don't think Knife of Dreams was a like, oh, people are getting antsy. I need to make some shit happen here. It was like this was always going to happen, and you guys need to just be patient a little bit. Mm. And and I can understand how he would have tried to make a Memory of Light into one more book. Yes, it would have been a friggin' monster if he had done it. Uh, but but I don't think Knife of Dreams symbolizes some like renewed urgency on his part because of fan sentiment. Mm. Okay. Now, Interesting. I, I, to the point about you know this is this is the last book that Jordan wrote, and yeah. like you yeah. just said, he's he's try, he's making there's one more book, but this book doesn't feel like that at all because it continues to widen things. 
Don't it's like no, uh, yes, in my well, opinion. Well, I think this is something I'll have to it discuss carry, more. It, would, in, it in carries part momentum two. more than it widens. I would argue. I think I think this is something we have to talk about more in part okay, two. Okay, fair enough. Sure. Because enough. we're okay. we're still in you know just the first nineteen chapters. But this but, is a but I would definitely put that in your pocket because that's yeah. an important yeah. discussion to have. And I, I yeah. also did want to I want to I also did want to draw an entire style discussion in part two of this book about how this was the last book that Robert Jordan. Oh well, yeah, we will. We will get there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but are we ready to go let's... into our characters? Yes. Let's do it. Shall we start with Randall Thor, or should we save the the best for last? I, well, I don't. We may as well get Rand out of the way early because at this point in the book, there's not much yeah. to yeah, talk about. As, as about far as him, quantity, that... there's not a lot of it, but quality. Well, the scenes oh. around Rand are great, but they don't pertain <laughs> much to his character. He's he's really a vessel for the plot and Luz Theron at this point. Yeah, he's a of well, the book. The the real interesting things about his character. Yeah. Will it, in, I'm later. glad that you brought that up. Interesting, because that's what I wrote down as my first style point here. There's so much interesting around Rand. The attack on mm-hmm. Algarin's manor is something that okay, I know. Ugh. Eight to twelve years off for, what? Sorry? I said, uh, no, 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 no. It was, I was, it was a a noise of approbation. Yes. And and this is something I know is, is years and years off from coming to our own screens. Hello, (laughs) Amazon prime video, but I cannot wait to see this. Oh boy. 40 year old Rob is going to be having a field day with this one. All right. I didn't even, first off, I didn't even realize that Olivia was there. Oh yeah. Oh, rip shadow spawn. Oh my God. Between Loghain and, Olivia and Rand himself. I mean, those Trollocs didn't stand a chance. I know Cad Swain was there, but I mean, compared to those previous three, yeah. like she barely even registers on the scale of what happened to those Trollocs there. Right. Now, yeah. this is a great scene, and I've always loved it, but it kind of ruins a lot of subsequent scenes for me because Why? this is Sorry, this is the one power unleashed on a battlefield in real scale. Um, like we've seen it once at Dumai's Wells, yeah, and we've seen say. it once against the Shan Chan, but mm-hmm. here, like there's channelers in numbers, and they are badasses. No, and there's they only have four channelers. All kinds of there's no, it's not just four channelers, isn't it? There's Rand and the Ashaman and all of the Aes Sedai and the and Olivia and some other former Demai. I thought it was just the like four of them. That's why Loyal was oh, so no. terrified when he saw the army. Oh no, no, there's no, lots. No, no. There's no, Okay, lots. sorry, like, sorry, go ahead. In the, in the manor. And they're all like significant in power. And they just cut through the Trollocs like a devouring flame. <laughs> yeah, but I, I still like, wouldn't argue that's different yeah. from Demise Wells. How See, would I, how I, I'd I argue it's different you, is the Pat? expertise involved. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like like we've seen this on scale before. There were 200 Ashaman at Dumai's Wells. Right. There were 50 Ashaman at, you the, know, the difference, in Altara. The difference I'm going to draw here is that this is scientific. Yeah, and, the and that is brutal. what Rob said. It's yeah. the expertise. Yes. It's the expertise Correct. more than it is the actual magnitude of power. I mean, if magnitude yeah, of power was, was impressive, then, I mean, the cleansing of the source or the sealing of the boar would be, mm. like, top place, right? Yeah. And but I'll tell is... you right now... Uh, I didn't bring this beer because unfortunately it's out of season, but this was going to be a, a retread beer that I was going to use for this episode. Oh? I brought this on for the second half of the Dragon Reborn. It was from Grim Brothers called Dragon Bloom. Ooh. And I think 
it's pretty clear when you have the dragon making blossoms of fire yeah. how dragon bloom could be a- applicable to that <laughs> oh yeah no, that's, that's too good <laughs> pardon me sorry that one just slipped out that's nice i like that i appreciate yeah, that yeah. and of so. course the absolute worst case scenario finally happens Something I hadn't considered would even happen during the, the series proper uh, until it, it actually arrived. And that was Luz Theron winning the struggle for Sidene and yeah. taking control of Rand's channeling. That was not something I was prepared to read when it happened and something I was so for within like 10 seconds. Very chilling. And I want to say, given our knowledge now, having finished, uh, especially The Gathering Storm, uh, so obviously, gathering storm spoilers here. Um, the fact that this isn't Luz Theron, it's Rand, but it's insane Rand. Mm-hmm. This is a point where like he has gone over the edge. That's I, even scarier. I would say it is. It is Luz Theron. It's just it's it's, no, it's Rand before it's it's Luz Theron before he became Randall Thor. It's still. The, the entire encompassing consciousness that is and or was Luz Theron is just not yet also influenced by the consciousness that became Randall Thor. This is a gathering storm discussion. This is a very so meta discussion. My audio engineer power of <laughs> or, or Towers uh, of Midnight Part 1 discussion. No, but yeah. no. Yeah, the, this is... Maybe you just haven't read The Gathering Storm in a while. Luz Theron is not a specific consciousness. That's it what I'm Rand. saying. But this is this is Luz Theron's knowledge, specifically Luz Theron's knowledge, very specifically Luz Theron's knowledge, and yes, but Rand this is, is helpless Rand. to control. He's it. so insane. That's my point. I would say the fact this that Rand is like unable to stop it is what makes over. is what makes this Luz Theron is the fact that Rand is unable to stop it. I mean, maybe we're arguing semantics, but we, we no, could like, be. This we very is well still could be. Rand. It's Rand is Rand. Rand yes. still has control over the power, has, but yes. this him thinking that Luz Theron has taken over is an indicator of how insane he's okay. gotten. Okay, he's gone of... over the edge. There isn't a separate consciousness no, no. of Luz I'm... Theron who's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm this like yeah, okay. crazy Age of Legends channeler and I'm in control now. It's no, this is still Rand Althor, but yeah, he because... has completely lost control. What he tells Min later in Towers of Midnight is, you, you know... The fact is that you think that I'm Luz Theron now, but Luz Theron at the same time was also always me. Like, I get that. They are the same individual. You're saying, what? okay, so the insanity is is personified in that Rand cannot distinguish the difference between the two of them. Okay, I'm going to break it down exactly right now. And yes, I realize this is a Gathering Storm thing, and we'll revisit it then. Sure, okay. Luz Theron is Rand attempting to come to grips with the fact that he is a going crazy and b getting memories from a previous life so instead of being driven mad like stark raving mad by this influx of knowledge he is assigning this knowledge to a split personality uh spoilers for the stormlight archive this is what shalon does no, I, I don't agree with that at all. I think no. Um, sorry, I'll let you finish. That is your, exactly what is happening here. I'll let you that finish ex- your that thought before I. Semmerage describes it in Knife of Dreams. Cake, cake, yeah. This is exactly what is happening. Semmerage says. Okay, that. so also, isn't it Catswain yeah. that asks him, "Are you hearing voices yet?" Early yeah. in, in Crown this of Swords. This is this is a common like thing for men who go mad. They they regain memories. The taint 
thins right the the barrier between soul memories and instead of going absolutely bonkers they grapple with it in a way that they can retain function and that is by assigning these memories to a separate personality sure sure okay i can agree yeah. with that um yeah. I, yeah so i guess drawing back to the very beginning of this we were arguing semantics and i was just saying that that separate personality is a separate person and you were saying no it's the same per it, it's the same person I, I i agree with that yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just a barrier that the sufferer of said madness constructs to help them continue as a functional person right or at least well as a functional but, but so what what makes it scary to me is that a lot of people read this as them being two separate people well, they, and and yeah. it it is a little more comfortable when there is a, a at this point they are no they're not that's they, my point they haven't always been but Rand still sees them as separate people but sorry it's still Rand this is just indicative of Rand losing control Rand doesn't control himself in this moment but he is blindingly lucky that in his madness here he doesn't destroy everything he doesn't destroy his own friends because he's ascribing his actions to a personality who killed everybody he loves so this is the only time that the madness actually wins the struggle then is that what you're sorry i don't mean to like place words in your mouth place a straw man there but is that what you're saying like this is the only time the madness actually no wins this is the, the first over? time the first time Okay. We'll we'll get to this more in the next. Interesting. Part. Okay. Um. That that does cover everything I wanted to talk about concerning Randolph Thor, though. Should we move okay. on to somebody else, a little more prominent, say Perrin. Matt? Let's do Perrin. Perrin. Okay. Let's do Perrin. My my points on Perrin are only one in number. Okay. Okay. So I'll start then, and it's a quote that I'll elaborate on. I'm a man who wants his wife back, and I'll deal with the dark one to get her. Yep. Mm. Very he good. Would and then it continues on. He would do whatever it took to get Fayol free. I just, I, 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 I can't. Perrin will never be a truly redeemable character in my eyes. He's not in my top five, nor my top ten. He's probably because of like, this line. Yeah, this because of this line in in a large part. He's probably like twentieth on the list, maybe twenty fifth. And I know somewhere Jared <laughs> is like. May he may or may not be distancing like sensing a disturbance in the force, but there it is. I'm saying it right now. Fuck Perrin. Imagine <laughs> what Fael would say if she could hear those words. Uh, she would. Be, She'd be flattered. She would be. Well, no. But, well, she would be flattered, and as her yes, nature I, is so right. twisting she, and turning, Saldane, she would be, be flattered, very cross at the same time. Hurt in her pride yeah. or in her honor. Yeah, that's. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think these these early chapters of Perrin, uh, I wanted to point out specifically, are still the Perrin of Crosswords of Twilight. Yep. He's being a little more decisive. Uh, but it's... Uh, it, it's still tedious. Tedious. That's a good way to put it. You know, there, there are some cool things that happen i mean we start seeing like the bubble of evils around him uh crunch, like the, the, crunch, the one crunch, yeah the crunch. one dude who like pours <laughs> beetles out of himself and deflates. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was a disturbing one. Um, I, I also particularly loved in this section, not just with Perrin, but with Matt as well, how we get prophecies of the dragon that are not about the dragon. Yes. yes. We don't get any of those again until Towers of Midnight, which also happened to be about Perrin. Right? Well, those aren't prophecies of the dragon, though. Oh, no, it's right. Those, those are prophecies are... of the shadow. Dark prophecies. Correct. Yeah. These, are, These prophecies are the, the only two dragon? prophecies we know of that are from the Korathon or the Essenian cycle. Okay, from the Shanchan. Got you. Yeah, that are, like, ostensibly about the rise of the yeah. dragon reborn that are not about Rand. Mm-hmm. When the wolf, you're talking about the one that, that states when the wolf king wields the hammer, thus on the end day, yep. the final so, days known. When the fox so that's from. Them. Oh, oh yeah. Well, okay. So uh, I want to get to the, the Matt one in a little bit because it's one of my favorite. But but this one particularly, you know, the with the wolf, the, wolf, the wolf king, and, and the hammer. The hammer. Yeah, got you. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, this is the very first time we have had a prophecy. Uh, from the prophecies of the dragon, okay. whether it's the Karathon cycle or the Essenian cycle, about someone other than Rand. Mm-hmm. And that's... I think that's really important. It, it oh. just goes to show is how... It though, is it though? He it who is. follows draws out after. That's about Narishma. Oh, on, I mean say? that... You, you could make a case for that. He but that is... After, it, but that starts with, into the heart he thrusts his sword. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's still talking about Rand there. Okay, but Narishma has been mentioned in the prophecies at this point. Yeah, he has. He's been mentioned, but that was still about Rand. Indirectly. That was, you know, into the, the, heart, is into the heart he thrusts his sword, uh, into the heart to hold their hearts. Yes. You know, like, that's that passage is still about, yeah, uh, still about Rand. Yeah. Um... And 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 that's in relation to Rand it's saying like who, like Rand is doing this to hold the Terran nobles, yeah, to him. So the distinction you know, is what the prophecy's subject is like. Exactly. Clearly, exactly. the subject of the prophecy in this case is the Wolf King is Perrin. Yeah, there's nothing about Rand in this, and then there's nothing about uh, Rand in the Matt one that we'll talk about in a couple of minutes here. Yeah. Yeah, and and. Uh, I will say it was also fun just like seeing Perrin interacting with the Shanchan in especially Tylee because I like her. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in Crossroads of Twilight and uh and Winter's Heart and then especially in Knife of Dreams, we see the lines blurring because up to this point the Shanchan have been pretty hard um enemies, except for like Aginan. And even then she's still like antagonistic. But here we start seeing those lines blur, where the Shanchan are, or some of the Shanchan are working with our heroes. It's, I don't know, it's fun to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we also get in this segment, and maybe this is a good segue into Matt's stuff, uh, the, the Tuatha'an, and how they're all traveling to Ebudar, because Shanchan-held lands are ordered. There is peace there. You know, and, and Matt tells him, he's like, you know, that peace comes with a price. And they're like, we don't really care. That doesn't affect us. It's, yeah, it's a price we can still pay. They're too off on. Yeah. Is there a less threatening people? Yeah, they're like, if, if some of our girls still channel, we'll send them to Tarvalon. Are there? Is there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll still send but, them to the White Tower, but... Yeah, but they're like, no, like, they're... 
Like oaths? That doesn't mean anything to they us. They just need to know yeah. how to detect We follow the way of the leaf. Who can channel yeah. because the, the Shanchen have definite ways of detecting girls who can channel. It's, it's still a little hypocritical of the two authors. Oh, it totally is. That's, um, uh, yeah, the, the whole way of the leaf is an extraordinarily flawed system. Yes. But, well, yeah. Well, and, and that they would view Shanchen lands as a more accurate representation of their belief system. Or a place where their belief system well, can flourish. I think it makes sense as a place where their belief system can flourish because it is a heavily policed state. And with the Tuatha'an, right. they Which don't is, break laws. Right. Well, and, well, no more than anyone else. Less than anyone Significantly else. Significantly less than most yeah. everyone else. Yeah. That's the because that's like their whole most ideology. of what laws are built around is violence in one way or another, whether interpersonal or to property or whatever, and they don't do that. Mm. So to them, they're like, "This is a utopia," which is ironic because again, the like policing, you say, policing is the use of force, and they are ostensibly against the use of force. Well, but to them, there is no force applied because they just don't break the law. Because nobody breaks the yeah, law but you, or you're cast they're, out. They're, the reason I say it's hypocritical is because every, like the other people in the lands that they're living in do. And the weight but, of the law is coming down. But that's not hypocritical for them yeah. because they're, they're well aware that everybody else uses violence. They, they hope that they'll stop, but they're aware of it. And they're not living in some way that like denies that it happens. They, they're aware of it and they're like, it's it would be immoral for us to work against that. Like, they, they know that Trollocs are violent, but they're not going to deny their morality to fight against them, which is a problem, but it's not a problem in this. I don't think it's hypocritical at all. In fact, I think it's... They're, they're very hard against hypocrisy. To live at peace in, in, conquered, in lands that were conquered by the sword, explicitly... I, I mean, to them, it's not hypocritical. Because they're aware of that. Mm. They they want to live in an insular society. So, so you're... <clears throat> because hypocritical so I, to one is not hypocritical I, to another. Based on but how sure, yeah. If I understand you correctly, it's, uh, from their perspective, to know that the violence was done was not the same thing as to condone exactly. the acts of and, violence. And... Uh, to know that violence could happen again is not to partake in violence against it. Mm. They are the beneficiaries. And so that is their justification right. for like they're they're like we we do our own thing. Mm. We would love it if you would come in and join us, but we're not going to fight you. Yeah, but because so long that as would we be remain, against our own morality. So long as we remain completely pure, we will eventually spread. Yeah. Which is a deeply problematic morality. Well, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. But, uh, you know, so. But but I, I think we should move into Matt here because this is yes, kind of let's. the... Uh, uh, uh. Oh, these Matt chapters are so freaking good. So good. It, yeah. They might be some of the funniest Matt chapters. The, I, I'm going to say it right now. Matt in Life of Dreams is the best Matt in the entire series. Yes. Hands down... Winter's Heart is close, but not that close. Right. I mean, this is just peak Matt. Right. Crown it's of Swords so and Lord of Chaos are also excellent. Uh, 
he doesn't get much of Lord of Chaos, but he's I good like there. Crown of Swords Crown is of good, Swords. but nothing is as good as Knife yeah, of Dreams, no. Matt. Knife of Dreams. Um, oh, if you'd asked wait, me before this, I would have said Crown Matt, of Swords. Isn't your favorite? Oh. Or, <laughs> I would have said Crown of Swords or Winter's Heart before this, before reading this episode. But Knife of Dreams, I have been laughing out loud and feeling Dude. for Matt so many times that it's hard for me to to, to argue with what you're saying. Yeah. It's so good. These these chapters are just front to back wonderful. I, they're funny. They're tense. There's tasteful. There's emotion to them. Yeah. There. I mean, it, the plot is moving. Like there's action. It's so much fun to read these chapters. Like. Man, and and Robert Jordan's particular style comes through where his knowledge is on display, where he has, you know, this the whole scene about buying the razor, and you're like, wow, yeah, Robert Jordan really knows like horses, apparently. Yeah. You know, and like and it is homework. Yeah, it, it's like you just you cannot argue with Matt in this. And this is one of the things that when I see people bring up the slog that I will always and vehemently push back against, much more so than some of the early books, including Path of Daggers, which I'm on record as loving. Uh, whenever somebody says, oh yeah, the slog is like book seven to 11, I'm like, no. You are so wrong. <laughs> wildly mistaken. Eight through 10. Yeah. With, with lots of nine, that's redeemable. You cannot include. With lots of eight, that's redeemable. Yeah, you cannot try to say that Knife of Dreams is part of the slog. This book, from well, literally mm. the opening scene, when Galad kills Eamon Valda, that sets the tone for the entire damn book. This book is just incredible from front to back, and especially in this part with Matt, like, mm, it, it like, a, a, a Italian chef kissing fingers. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to say something here that might trigger Drew. Ooh, do it. I think this book cannot be classified as a whole as part of the slog, but there are parts of this book that are as in themselves part of the slog. And I'm going to uh, elaborate upon mm. that when we get to Elaine today. Oh, uh, well, I mean, isn't Elaine just always a trial? And so is right. that, is I don't, not that I think point? I think Drew is making the, 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 the possible mistake of considering the slog as being identified to very specific books and, and rather mm. than like rather than very specific plot lines that that subsist I'm gonna throughout push back certain on that. books. OK, go ahead. I'm going to push back on that I'll, for one thing, ahead. because people do assign the slog to Books, right, because there's no other. Oh, okay, I and two. They could just say characters. That's true. That's true. And two, the Elaine chapters in this part of the book are not bad. Oh, and in God, fact, there's one that is so bad that I'm gonna rip apart. In about and in a minute. fact, this is one of the few points in the series where Elaine isn't being willfully stupid. I mean, and I can't even say that for the second oh, half no, of this book. Wait, what? What are you talking about? Uh, in the second half of this, this book, she is dumb as rocks. Yes. But in the first half of this book, she's actually pretty smart. But you said the second half of this book as well, right? No, I said yeah. I can't say that about the second oh, half of this book. Oh, you can't say that. Okay, gotcha. I was glad. I, that's glad that's what I was about to have a problem with. I was like, excuse me? 
Yeah. But okay, got you, got you. I will um, fight you on that. <laughs> I heard that. No, it's one of her worst ready, moments in the entire up on series. That one too. She gets like thousands of people killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it's her worst. But moment. no, in these chapters, this this goes back to what I talked about with Elaine in uh, Crossroads of Twilight and in Winter's Heart. I don't have a problem with most of the Siege of Camelot and the Succession story because Elaine is. Yes, it's political. It's it's nitty gritty. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't like a political story. Like, anybody who reads A Song of Ice and Fire and gets into that cannot complain about what's going on with Elaine. Like... It's not that I don't like political stories. It's that I don't like her. <laughs> See, I don't even not no, like I'm, her. I'm, I like I'm Elaine. Opposite. I, like I don't Elaine. like what she does to the people around her. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think Elaine okay. is... is still very redeemable in many ways as a character. Okay. I just don't like yes. the scenes constructed I, around her. What I dislike oh. the most is political stories that do not need to be present because of decisions made by the characters. Thank you. Like, yes. like if it was just if it was politics and, and the author was presenting it as well, this is the way the world works. Politics is a thing and I have some interesting things to show you in that regard. That would be one thing. This is not that thing. This is needless. It's gratuitous. So you wanted her to just, like, stroll in and be like, the Dragon Reborn said I have the throne, I have the throne, game over. As I believe I mentioned in the last episode, of the Crossroads of Twilight episode, there is a happy medium okay. in in between those two things. I'm just now realizing uh, that we're, bringing, we're talking a lot of Elaine when we're still technically talking yes. about Matt. Well, I mean, well, do we have anything to say about Matt I mean, other than we, gushing about how like good his, his scenes are? Okay. Well, maybe we'll revisit Matt after we finish this conversation, because okay. we're deep in the Elaine here. So, like, I, I can understand the desire, and I will say I expressed the desire earlier in our episodes about how I wish she had a more reasonable stance toward Rand saying, like, look... I conquered Andor, mm. you can rightfully take your throne. Um, it What pisses me off the most about this is that she frames it as accepting the throne from Rand, when right. Rand never framed it that way. Yes. He always said, like, I knocked out Ravin, the throne is yours to take. Mm -hmm. There was no need for a succession war the succession was intact, right? Like, yes. Morghese was the last queen, the next queen is Elaine, the succession continues. But Elaine has this, like, super skewed pride about it where she tries to, like, to puff up her own pride, essentially, but say, oh, Rand is giving me the throne. That's not what's happening. He's not giving you the throne. But you're... you're Rand arguing... never ruled, like... You're arguing it's, what he literally said against what he could be interpreted to have said. Because uh, like, right. take what he said yes, to Colavir. That's take what exactly he said to Colavir what I'm in, saying. In Crown of Swords, he said to Colavir, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, his exact verbatim was, "You know, I intend the throne for Elaine of Andor." And by saying that, oh wait, sorry, that's the Crown of what the fuck am I saying? That's a Crown of Kyrian. Sorry, no, that's a totally fucking false point. Continue with what you were saying. I'm an idiot. No. The, but your your original point is exactly what I'm saying. Rand never said, 
I have the throne, I'm giving it to Elaine. Are you sure he never said that? Because he talked about that with a lot of people. Yes. Okay. Yes. The, no. Uh, so he yes, couldn't I, have even I, possibly never phrased claimed it in a way to that rule could be interpreted Andor. as. He never ever claimed okay. to rule Andor. Not openly. I would agree with that. But could, no, you're saying no, he never period. Not not openly, not privately. Rand never claimed to rule Andor. From the moment he knocked out Robin, I'm not saying it was he did. always the Calm throne down. is Elaine's. <laughs> I'm not saying But he you did. just said that. Okay. No, okay. I'm saying could he have phrased it in a way not saying that he owned it or that he had any rights to it. All he said is the throne is Elaine's. Been interpreted as saying that. Listen, Rand never said, I'm giving the throne to Elaine. He said the throne is Elaine's. Elaine decided to twist those words into Rand is giving me the throne. Yeah. And I won't accept sure. it from him. Well, they never actually they talked never about talked, it. They never talked. Yeah, like. But this is Elaine's pride. Perhaps. They never talked about it. That's my point. This is Elaine's pride. This is my fucking point. Does it have to be mutually exclusive? Is it one or the other? Her whole deal is deciding <laughs> okay, okay. that Rand took it. the throne and is then giving it to her. We talked about this back in The Path of Daggers. Yeah. All she had to do was... Recognize the fact that there is... I remember bitching about that. ...to the public an unbroken succession. There's no need for a war. Her mom was the last one to hold the throne. Rand went in and knocked out the, you know... Uh, roadblock, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And he said publicly to all the nobles around, the throne is Elaine's. I'm not ruling. The throne is Elaine's. And the all she had to... All she had to do is say, oh, yeah, yeah, the succession is intact because it is. Oh, he did, did, the he throne did say is that in Fires of Heaven. Lord of Chaos, not in, yeah, not in Fires of Heaven. Yeah. And so. He did say that like, in Fires of Heaven. Or maybe I can understand the frustration with he what made you guys very are saying. Clear this could be, have been, you know, it could have been an unnecessary political plotline. But. Yeah, it's only unnecessary because but, of Elaine. That's what I've been yes. maintaining from the beginning. However, this is a character there we've had established from the very first book in the series. Mm. Her not doing this would break her character. It doesn't make sense for her. The and one of Robert Jordan's strongest things in this series was the character's and the consistency in the characters and how they retain their prejudices and their personalities and they only change when those changes are earned. Okay, in the spirit of fairness and in this conversation, I'm going to step up <clears throat> and actually offer a defense for Elaine. Okay. Um, I, in a very under-talked-about scene, her natural tendencies that you're talking about, Ooh, Drew, are okay. exacerbated by Demandred. She's in the world of dreams, and he like makes this illusion of the throne room, uh -huh. but like with the dragon throne and everything like on high. I, I forget the specifics of the scene, but he, Demandred makes it seem as though Rand is doing exactly what she thinks he is doing. 
i.e. giving her the throne or like ruling Andor. He's he's set himself up as a king and now he wants to. It's part of the brilliance of the Forsaken. Oh, so don't you think there are other parties oh, that could and he, also gain he was just from doing the it fact to, or, to or just gain from distancing throw a the little daughter bit more chaos the out there. or lessening her trust of him? Like it's I I bitched a lot about Elaine. I bitched a lot about her Elaine and I still have a lot to bitch about Elaine going forward, trust me. But I have to admit that some of her interpretation of Rand's will in this case is 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 caused by A Rand's lack of communication. So and B the the the, the colorful lenses coming the down to my various agendas is that I am frustrated by Elaine's pride hmm. and in a sense naivete. But sure. narratively speaking, I don't have a problem with the succession war same, and the same. siege. And thus, everything Same. Elaine is doing here, because she's being mostly smart about it thus far, um, because it makes sense for her character. Like, mm. like I'm frustrated like hell by okay. some of the decisions she makes I I in Path of Daggers and especially Winter's Heart, like, you know, her dealings with Dialin. Uh, but they make sense for her character, and thus I can't be frustrated by the narrative, because the narrative works. Like, I'm taking a very, like, authorial perspective on this. Oh. Robert Jordan could not have written this whole sequence out without dramatically changing who Elaine was okay. and how she acts in situations. I don't, I don't disagree in any particular... Um, with the with, with, well, with the possible exception of them of Rand and Elaine just having a conversation no, about no, it. No, I agree with that. It's just when it's they just, could have. Yeah, contributes uh, to Elaine's radius like in of Winter's suck. heart, right? Yeah. As he's like, but you know, yeah, hey, yeah. Man, but but remember, this is time. the Wheel of Time we're talking <laughs> yes. about, I mean, and nobody fucked, ever talks at one point. This they couldn't the have discussed this discuss <laughs> the succession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 which is why it justifies the narrative as drew is saying right because nobody ever really talks about anything that's how we get the conflict okay yeah let's rewind right matt because okay i, I can level with you on that front definitely um i still have a couple of things about matt that i want to say <laughs> before we go in yeah okay um, so I, I, this is something I, mm -hmm. I, I mentioned at the very, very beginning of this episode, but I said big, big moment in the series, huge moment, Moiraine is alive, Matt and company I'm, are going to go get her back. I'm envious of you because I, and then I, I wrote down, do, excuse I me, Moiraine is not being surprised at dancing all. a happy dance around the kitchen in table fact, I, I read this for the first time. Uh, I'm not what? gonna just go, I, I don't remember if that was what happened no, or not, I didn't but I was not, no, cause Drew I was not it for surprised. You? That's all that you I You were already say. reading them by the time that this book came out already reading what knife of dreams yes damn yes, it I wasn't didn't read that but for you <laughs> following on the heels of that though mm. yeah i'll say that i'll say <laughs> this though i'm drawing a, a, a comparison between 14 year old me and, and current me i'll tell you what growing up sucks and you know why yeah there's a lot of bills and shit but growing up also includes yeah. this ability to view things from another perspective, for most of us, at least. And in this case, I'm referring to Tom Marilyn and how heartbreaking <laughs> it is to consider 
like, how many times he must have brought that letter out to it's read like, come in Matt's on, presence, you, you hoping, imbecile. Just, just <laughs> desperately hoping that the younger man would ask about it. Uh, I never considered that until this read, like, how many times Tom would have been there in that position, like, I'm going to take it out again, I'm going to take it out again, and he's just hoping, If I were Tom, I would have waited. Maybe not even reading it, because he knows the words already off by heart, hoping that Matt's going to ask about it, and he doesn't. It's just like, oh, Tom Merlin. Yeah. Time to take a more direct stance here. Don't want to fuck with Destiny, man. Well, um, <clears throat> my last map point is something I noticed during Wait, chapter two, really? and I wrote down in all caps. How did I not get these references to the snakes and foxes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I swear to God. Two on says two match. He says right. if you sleep on the old Hobbs Hill under a full moon, then snakes will give you true answers to three questions, <laughs> or that foxes steal people's skins and take them. Or take the nourishment from food so you can starve to death while eating your fill. Those were amazing. I never... I don't know how. (laughs) never picked up on that before. And I wrote down, again, in all caps, how? Like... Oh, man. That's incredible. I I just... I just... I guess I I threw my brain out the window every single time I came up to those scenes, but... Wow. Well, well, on the, the, like, esoteric topic with Matt, one of my favorite moments in this whole book... Is when Noah, <laughs> just like in the middle of their little domestic scene, is like, "Oh, I remembered," and breaks out one of Robert Jordan's best, absolute <laughs> yeah. best, like prophetic <clears throat> couplets. This is up there with the end, uh, the epigraph at the end of Crossroads of Twilight, with the you know the fourth age ascribed to the dragon reborn that's about the ashaman you know uh the anyway this one is fortune rides like the sun on high with the fox that makes the ravens fly luck his soul the lightning his eye he snatches the moons from out of the sky i love that it's so good it ties back to matt's ring with the fox Surrounded by the moons, chasing two ravens into the sky. Like, everything about this is just beautiful. Yeah, the fox. The couplet ravens. itself, man, talk about, like, just just it ironclad. back to the shanty Ironclad boxes. rhythm and rhyme in there. Like. His meter was on fleek. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. I, I will never, ever use that term, but yes. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Because I realized I was talking about something very esoteric, so. Oh, yeah. Shakespeare would be proud. Thank you. Of that one. Thank you. So, no, no. He would be proud of Robert Jordan, not proud of you. Oh, man. <laughs> Could have let a boy dream. Verily. Actually, I don't know. I, I, I Shakespeare would probably be proud of whoever... Uh, came up with the term fleek <laughs> or on fleek because that's a very Why? Shakespeare thing to do. Is it? But oh yeah, dude, he made up so many words. What making up a word would make him respect somebody else for making up a word? Watch this in Digabomb. Hey Shakespeare, where's my fucking shout out? Oh, if you can make okay, 
Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, if you can fair enough. assign a meaning to it and make culture accept <laughs> yes, that meaning. Yeah, noise. Shakespeare would be way Sorry. down with Go that. Go ahead. <laughs> that was his jam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, but but no, so I, I want to talk about a couple of couple of important okay. scenes with yeah. Matt uh, in this section. Uh, one of them being Aludra and the dragons. Mm. And uh, tying back to style a little bit here, how Matt falls asleep that night and he says for, for many nights going forward, dreaming about the night flowers blooming, but blooming in the midst of ranks of pikemen and horse and how he has this premonition of the destruction that cannons and you know gunpowder are going to have going forward. That description there is once Sorry. again <laughs> just anybody who says Robert also. Jordan I apologize is, Pat. Like, has bad prose. No. Yeah. Like <laughs> You're wrong. You are, that in front of you the are wrong. That guy, that can, guy write can write a damn sentence. And <laughs> I would love to see that on front of a Robert Jordan book too, but I feel like that we got about yeah, like Robert Jordan has come to dominate the world. That Tolkien can't be unfeasible can't steps to to Again. climb before that happens. <laughs> that guy can write a damn sentence, Drew McCaffrey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then underneath that. That guy can write a damn sentence. <laughs> but no, it's... When, when we get into the whole, like, narrator thing, right? Where we're working in a, a close third-person narrator. When we have sentences like this that are beautiful, Matt is the one relaying them to us. We're in Matt's point of view. And this is one of the reasons that I have a huge problem with the letter that Matt writes to Elaine in, in Towers of Midnight with Brandon Sanderson. Because Matt is a guy who has demonstrated... He's written multiple letters to Sovereigns before this, by the way. Yeah. Uh, like... He, he is not an illiterate idiot. The way... He's described he's to be like a buffoon in some of the Brandon Sanderson books. Yes. He's not a buffoon. He's a rogue. Rogues? Right. Like, sophistication is the difference. Yeah. Matt actually like, has some sophistication. It might be inherited sophistication from the memories, but it exists. It, yeah, and, and we just haven't seen Matt ever act in the way that he does later on. Mm -hmm. And so, like, this particular moment speaks to the reader in a way that just does not happen for the next three books. And that's frustrating to me, but at the same time, I cherish these moments. Because this is, as I said earlier in the episode, peak Matt Cawthon. This is him at his I best. I may be tempted to agree with that as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't agree more. I may be I may I may still argue Crown of Swords, best, but Knife yeah, of Dreams best or Winter's Heart. Dreams. 
Crown of Swords is really good. Winter's Heart is really good. Crown of Swords is better. Yeah, because we get we get the full range. We get Matt the Gambler and Matt we're gonna the see, We're going to see we're going to see the Onion yeah. in this book as two <laughs> on uh this book might as well be called Peeling the Onion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, the peeling yes. of oh, onions. Man. <laughs> oh, man. Like, just such a, a, a name like that. Yeah. Amidst all of the other epic names. The Crossroads so, of Twilight and the Gathering Storm and the Onion. And the peeling of the onion. Yep. I, I, I feel like I should um, put this disclaimer here and say now that my miscellaneous thoughts and my lore thoughts are actually longer than I think any other Wheel of Time episode has had before this. Really? Well, yes. do we have any more character points to nope. discuss? Nope, that's why not I'm a, saying so. High. I was going to then All ask right. if you guys had any others. Let's dive in. Okay, so first I want to talk about these so-called Anseline Gardens. I always wanted to know... Uh, okay. I mean, I always do want to know more about the Age of Legends and these tidbits from the Forsaken... These are like scrumptious. These are these are awesome. Um, you, you mean you want to talk about places that I'd, I'd want to go and travel to in this fantasy world? I want to go and I want to hang at the Anseline Gardens for like a month, and I also kind of I, I kind of want to visit, um, sh- you know, the site that would eventually become Shale Ghoul in the future. Because for those who aren't already aware, Shale the, the tropical island. It was a tropical <laughs> island paradise during the Age of Legends. I would find the spot where the boar was eventually going to be drilled, and I'd take a big steamy dump on Shaitan's future point of entry. Although, <laughs> wouldn't that be like thousands of feet high, though? Wasn't it in the Column Dawn that was like really, really, really high up in the sky where the boar was technically bored? I don't know. You uh, do I mean, of course, the land changes. There. The land changes in between. I mean, Drew, you are like a mile higher than the sea level than I am right now. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Moradin, he tells the other Forsaken that Rand is to be left alive. And that the other two Taviran are the ones who are supposed to be killed. So, in other words, exactly the same orders that we've had standing since literally the prologue of book two. That's, that's kind of what I had as a problem going into this. And I said, and I wrote down, this is why I would be a terrible forsaken. Not because like I'm too kind hearted <laughs> or too honest. I mean, come on, Pat, especially Pat can level with me here. Taking over the world with godlike powers. Does it get many more metal than that? It, it does not. It does not. Right. Well, Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Are you Pat... implying I am not metal? <laughs> no, I just figured I would... Pat would appreciate that with his, I don't know, specific... My, my, it, my instinct to conquer and to dominate, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I wrote, no, the reason I would be a shitty Forsaken is because I would be the one at the back of the table, like, just piping up with a stupid quip every two or three minutes, <laughs> and then and Morden would just lose his shit and bail fire me. Like, I just, oh, yeah, I cannot help myself. They would have killed you. I cannot you, help myself. would have been the Shadows version of Rand Man and his master plan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. Um, I would never impugn that you're not metal, though. Yeah, yeah. Of course you would. I would yeah. wear more black. I would never imply <laughs> such a thing. That's... Intentionally. Jeez. Whoops. Oh, oh yeah. No. Uh, we, we've been over this. I've been to metal concerts in a polo He's, shirt. Let, it, let the record and people state have, that he has been to uh, metal drawn into uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. In <laughs> fact, criticized my introduced appearance. me to my favorite <laughs> band ever of all time. So there you go. Shout out Nightwish. to Nightwish. Yep, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question for you, Drew. Actually, I have two. The first one is here. Okay. Who is this supposed impersonator of Samael? Sending Trollocs through the ways. Um, My guess was Grayndal lining up her parent, her plans for Perrin in Gildon. Um, we think it's Arongar. Right? Yeah, I believe it is Arongar. Halima, really? Even though it's, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. The the implications in that, in her point of view, there, like how she like avoids really interrogating that. I think it was Arongar, and there are other points where Arongar impersonates other forsaken uh arongar yeah. is the one who um so there's a scene in winter's heart with a uh, slayer okay where yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. taim shows up you know and and like tells him like oh you got to kill the dragon reborn and then there's like another another like nebulous forsaken that is almost certainly arongar Mm-hmm. Who also so Arangar has this this like track record of trying to do this. Um, I I am pretty sure it's Arangar who impersonates Samael here. Okay, okay. I I haven't actually pulled. I just up want to know if we have like a de- definitive answer. But I mean, I could I could look it up. Yeah, I didn't bother looking it up because I figured others might have the same question. And they mm-hmm. would just ask, and we could answer it in this fashion. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's yeah, the manor house attack has always been laid at Arangar's feet in my head. Same. Yeah. Oh, I found found my second question here, too. Mm. How did Perrin get the paper with Suroth's writ of authority? From Ty Lee. Ty Lee? Full right. Doesn't that... Doesn't that stand... Stand to reason? No. No, he got it. Uh, they, okay, thank you, Drew. I was like, they no. stole it from <laughs> Masima. I didn't want to. Oh, say right. again, sorry. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Masima sure. got it from Suroth, and then oh, okay. they stole Masima's, it out of Masima's camp. It's it's from Masima. Yeah, okay. and there was the whole thing about why the hell does Masima have this? I was gonna jump on that, and be like, what? But I did. I was just like it's silent because. Like, well, and the implication of why he has it is is as far as the reader is concerned, the the forsaken plot. That um, the trio, Masana, Demandred, and Semarag working together, um, Masima mm-hmm. being Demandred's puppet, was given aid by Suroth, who is Semarag's mm-hmm. puppet. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Very interesting stuff there. Yeah. Um, nope. <clears throat> I wrote... He always liked using proxies. He did. He yeah. did always like using proxies. I wrote, uh, I'm so, with six O's, tired of the Shido plot line. Just so tired. I mean, I just can't even. I, I wrote, die Galena, die Savannah, just die. Thurava, Thero, mm-hmm. uh, Mira, Roland, Aravine, just do all of us Reavers a favor. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now. A favor and die already. My three least favorite characters in all of the Wheel of Time are, in no specific order, Galena, Savannah, and Thurava. Damn. Okay, I was really hoping to God you were not about to say Roland because I would have had a huge problem with that. 
And I don't like Roland, but no, he's no yeah, okay. near Yeah, yeah, no, level. I'm not. A, I'm not on on the on. The, I'm not a Roland fanboy to to use those words either. But yeah, okay. I was really hoping you yeah. weren't gonna say you are Roland there. Um, I wrote down, yikes, the ripples in reality. Oh, oh, bail screams. Oh, okay. So those are bail screams. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna ask you about that because I wrote down of all the different bubbles of evil because I thought this was a bubble of evil. This one disturbs me the most. I think. So what is this but a, a bail scream? What what bail fire has been unleashed recently to justify this? Demand Red's been bail firing shit like for books now. The Dark One asked him, remember, would you release the bail fires? Okay, but mm. why now so much more noticeably than before? What did demand what was Demand Red doing at this particular point that was more insane than well, for example more, Rand bail firing it, the parent palace? It may not be any specific thing. It's the fact that Balefire has been used more and more and more, and the pattern is starting to unravel. We don't see this this kind of ripple throughout reality again, do we? Besides what Rand does with a bail screen in Book Twelve, no, we we do. This happens like in a couple of different characters' points of view. Does it? Who else? Oh, I, I don't remember specific characters, but th- this happens where there. I know what happened in book twelve in the immediate like, area around Grandal's palace. And then, at and then Barrel, there's but. so there are multiple points of view where there's like a ripple like this, and then it changes to another character's point of view, and there's a and there's a ripple like this. Oh. That that is exactly what is happening. Is Demandred specifically Demandred has been using Balefire at the Dark One's orders, and the more he uses it, the more damage occurs in the pattern. And then when Rand goes nuts, the pattern is already damaged to such a point that it is a huge, uh, you know, strain on on the fabric of existence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I wrote down. Uh, I hadn't realized that one set of dice stopped spinning in Matt's head when he made the deal with Eludra. Um, yes. Ominous, but appropriate. The imagery of the Dark One laughing really kind of tied that feeling of apprehension into the scene. Yeah, we, where he's like, it, it, the sound wasn't the dice, it was the Dark One laughing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved Jolene's line in Chapter 9, as the women are all making trouble for Matt, as they tend to do. <clears throat> but she looks at Tuan and she says, okay, I will no longer bother Precious. To which... Tuan hisses angrily. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tuan. Tuan! Hissing yeah. angrily. Holy shit, Jolene really likes to poke that bear, doesn't she? Mm. It, and it's not even what she said so much as who said it. It's oh, like, yeah. Or it's who like, she said it to. Damani said this to me. Yeah. yeah. Really? And I wrote down, honestly, yeah. I find it kind of hot. And I wrote also down, sorry, everyone. Once again, you're being ungracefully reminded that I am a young single man in his late 20s. And and perhaps some of you are now realizing why I am a young single man in his late 20s. It's a moot point, I thought really. It was because, I thought it was because you got together once every week to talk about books for two hours. But that may have like a, like a big, big majority of part of it. The jury's still out on that one. I don't one. think that's a. I don't think that's. <laughs> no, no, no. Because we're talking. Considering the ring on my finger. Yeah, I was gonna right. say who's a married man, but then again, <laughs> you were married before this podcast started. Yeah, you think True. I wasn't? 
like hunkering down to talk about books yeah. multiple hours a I week know. before that. I know. I, know. <laughs> um, I wrote down we finally get to see more bands of Trollocs. Finally. Yeah, this is one of the first times since book one that we get uh, Trolloc batches. Yep, 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 yep. I, I found it awesome. And the one that was apparently described uh, like having a um, sigil of a man figure wreathed in fire. I was like, ooh, that's mm. kind of cool. Mm-hmm. The whirlwind was yes. cool. Yeah. yeah. All and the skulls. My... I like skulls, too. Yeah. I'm like a Trolloc. I like skulls. <laughs> yeah. Like a Trolloc, oh, you like dear. skulls. Something <laughs> directly from this section of the reading. And my last uh, miscellaneous point here, um, I just wanted to say that the Murdrow that dies immediately following the Hundred Arrows of Fire... Yes. Oh man, I want it so bad. I know how 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 stupid it sounds and irrational it sounds, but in that moment, I wanted Rand so badly to say something like, "Get wrecked, scrub." <laughs> okay. Get good. Murder. Boom! A hundred arrows good. of fire out of five fingertips. Doesn't even twitch afterward. Yeah, I loved that too. It's like like that thing just got destroyed so thoroughly. Fucking okay, annihilated. Yeah. We're on miscellaneous points right now, so I just I, I have a confession to make. And that's that I am maybe this is due to bad writing, or maybe it's due to a lack of imagination on my part, or maybe a combination of them both. But I have never been able to picture clearly in my head what a blossom of fire actually looks like. I was having trouble with that today. I okay. have no conception of what's I do of I what's do. going on. I have a very okay. vivid. Uh, okay. picture in my head so it's like basically you get this thin pillar mm-hmm. like maybe an inch in diameter mm-hmm. of pure like clear red yeah ground to like maybe i don't know 20 Plus, feet in the air no, like no, i don't i don't have a depends particular... depends on how powerful anyway. you are presumably anyway and it has this like high-pitched hum Mm-hmm. coming out of it mm-hmm. and then that hum like uh so if you've seen episode two attack of the clones right mm-hmm. if you remember when uh jango fett drops his like mines in the asteroid belt yes and and there's this like silence and this like wow kind of noise it, it's that where there's this pillar and there's this high-pitched whine and then it deepens and then explodes in a disc of fire. Ah. About maybe four feet off the ground. Okay. Okay. That is part one, that, that's one of the vague conceptions I had of it. It was just hard to picture the two ends okay. of the pillars coming together to that single point. Yeah. And yeah. then expanding. Or did they expand without the points moving and you had a really thick... Yeah, like I, building. I always saw it as like the explosion starting, like like it it has this high pitched whine and then it moves together, mm. and and the the noise deepens as it you know yes, contracts yes. if that makes sense, and then you have this boom. Well, thank you for one of the only good mental images that George <laughs> Lucas will ever be providing us. I'm gonna have to con- consider this that. at a later time because I. I really can't picture that. 
Oh yeah, as no, far as I go, thought, like, go the... look up on YouTube like the the Jango Fett Obi Wan Kenobi chase scene uh, in Episode Two through okay. the asteroid belt. Yeah, when Jango Fett drops those mines and like all the sound disappears and you have this like wow kind of explosion noise. I'm gonna sample that yeah. noise. Yeah, that you just oh, made. I was considering and, uh, looking it up right now and just like having it in the background. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but that's always what I what mm-hmm. I thought of. Because the description of the pillar and then, like, the disc, you know, like, the explosion in the middle of it, mm-hmm. it, it the noise to it was a, a really visceral part for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I have, uh, if you guys are down the miscellaneous points, I would like to go into lore. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because I have a theory that I would like to put in front of you. And this is, I wouldn't say a popular theory, but I, I would say it has popped up uh, again and again consistently over the last uh, 13 okay. years now. Galad can learn the channel. Really? Okay. Explain. What? So, we're going to start with his lineage. Yes, Galad's mother is Tigraine, and his father Galad's is, mother uh, is Tigraine. Yeah. Terengale. Damadrid, yes. Is Terengale Damadrid. We know that. We have a channeler Damadred in the Damadred being, being, uh, line, line, and, the and we have a channeler ranked. in the Mantear line. Okay, got you. Yep, yep, and yep. And... In this specific scene at the beginning of this book, for a long time I was a little um, uh, resistant to this, but there is no uh, there is no definitive um, answer from Robert Jordan Aww, on this. He he pretty hard rathoed my next question when he was asked. But there is a description. There is a description. When Galad uh, is ready to fight, mm. and he does the oneness, and obviously the oneness is not a channeling thing, yeah, but it is a a threshold sure. to embracing useful tool, you know, or, to or seizing the power. Seizing yeah. the power. His description. His description is so much more vivid. He says he could hear flies buzzing 10 feet away as though they nope. were at his ear. Nope. No, it's not. That's and not a oneness that right thing. Now. That's a one power thing. That's a heightened senses. Two grasshoppers in the second half of A Crown of Swords. He sliced two grasshoppers out of the air. And he is not a channeler. Sure. Hmm. What's to say that Galad wasn't using that? That's concentration and reflexes. That's not hearing. That's not hearing. He could hear flies buzzing 10 feet away as though they were at his ear. One of the first... No. One of the first descriptions we get of the one power is heightened senses. But is that the only way to get magnification of sight and hearing? Is a magnification of sight It's the only way? He's not hearing... Or, or just uh, He's embracing not, the flame and void, yes. like Ham says. The oneness isn't it as well. Yes, we we never ever ever, we never ever ever. It's a concentration like, technique. 
It's not a heightened senses well, yeah, technique. Okay. Well, and especially you concentrate on the senses it, that are normal. The, it, it's an it's an archery thing, or um, it, if you it's, view it as a military. it's all about it's all about aiming. It's about concentration and extending no, I don't agree with that at your all. senses into what you're holding. I think the one power increases your the senses. The sword becomes part of the you. Flame the bow the becomes part of you. Increases your ability to sense those senses, perhaps, or increases your sensitivity to those senses. I don't see them as one and the same thing. I don't. I I don't know if I agree with that. But I think wait, the one what? power. But how? But how could it? Wait, it, it, it back up. So the one yes, power like increases your, 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 your senses, your but the flaming and the void increases you your sensitivity to those yeah. senses. That makes so when no you have sense. Them both together, it's like a it's a more uh, compounded effect. I don't know. I, I I can't. Rand has both of them together. But I can't there's the there's no both of them together. One of them follows the other, no matter what. Could you, do we know that? Yes, but you can't channel that? as a man without the flame in the void. Okay. Yes, that's a literally how it's described. Like you cannot you, see yeah. Sidene without being in the void. Yeah, Taim teaching them. Yeah, the that's like how they that. start teaching the Ashraman. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Um. Anyway, okay. I'm gonna read on. Oh, okay. Okay. He almost thought he could see the movements of their wings. He was one with the flies, with the courtyard, with the two men. They were all part of him, and he could not be distracted by himself. So the oneness. Every time we have a description of the oneness before this, it's being one with what you are holding. It's one with your sword. The sword is part of your body. It's one with the bow and the arrow. Now we have Galad being like one with in things dozens of feet away from him. The... So, yeah. <clears throat> what? No. He's not one with the grasshoppers. He just has such good reflexes that he can so knock them out when he's concentrating. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. I, I'm being We're a pedantic We're not in right Rand's now. point Sorry, of view. Go ahead. We don't Finish know what he's doing there. Exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, and, and I'm fucking cutting that down because what we do know... Okay. points out that what Galad is doing here is different from the normal oneness. And we have the evidence of okay. channeling genes in both sides of his lineage. Okay, the Robert most Jordan convincing did. thing to Yeah, me, see, that's what uh, I was exactly going with right here. So far is that uh, you said Robert Jordan raffled this. And, okay, I have, I have I another know, I one you. for you guys. Okay, go ahead. In the original outline, in the original outline, Bullad How do we know this? Was a channeler and turned evil. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, so Adam That's Whitehead, uh... he is uh, one of the most. Uh, respected, knowledgeable um, researchers in the Wheel of Time community. This is the guy who runs the Atlas of Ice and Fire website. He's currently like doing these crazy in-depth maps and things. Um, uh, he got access to okay. some, some of the notes, basically. And, and had a post about uh, the original outline. And so, 
This is this is his post. You can look this okay. up. This is from Sunday, January seventh, in two thousand eighteen, called "The Genesis of the Wheel of Time," on the Wirt Zone, which is his his blog. And uh, it, it has a crazy breakdown of all of these insane ideas. I mean, crazy ideas. Uh, this is when the main character was Tam Althor, basically. He was an old man who had come back from war and then found out he was... What? The, uh, you know, the prophesied chosen one. Oh, dang. Yeah. Uh, they're... Yeah. That's, it's, uh... it's so, so cool. Um, so here's, here's the quote. In the original notes, Morgaze was the name of the queen of a remote city-state who was more of a seductress and schemer. This character seems to have evolved into Berylaine. Galad and Gawain were still her children, but Elaine, under a different name, Ellen, was the daughter of the queen of Andor, who was a different character altogether. In a surprising move, Reese, who was Rand slash Tam, actually slept with Morgaze. This drives the furious Galad into the camp of the Shadow. He then becomes a channeler and one of Rand's main enemies. Very interesting. I apologize for putting the 70s porn spin on that one, too, with my little beatboxing there. <laughs> I yeah. forgive you this one. So I... I mm, given Robert Jordan's Raffo on that one, I think right. Galad what... could have learned to channel. If I asked him whether Loyal could channel. He, he would just say like, no. no. Yeah, exactly. If I asked him if Tam could channel, he would or just Lan. say no. Or Lan. He would or say no. Lan Somebody who did a lot of the same things. Would you say Lan? No. And, and so no. this description in this scene is reminiscent of what we see later in this book with Seda and Bethamen, who can learn to channel, but are resistant to learning. And don't want... like They have this like pseudo-channeling, right? And Tuon, again, it's, it's all about, like, how the Suldam, who aren't actively channeling, but have the capability and are around it, you know? Like, I, I don't know, I think, I think Galad might have been able to learn how to channel. That's a very intriguing, very cool possibility. It blew my mind when you brought it up. I don't accept it yet, but I'm not <laughs> ruling it out. I, it still let could it, be a thing. Let it... Let it percolate around. It, it took me, I will tell you, it took me like a solid two years from when I first heard this theory to be like, hmm, maybe this is a possibility. I have nothing Because when I first heard it, I was like, no, fuck no. Like, I, I absolutely have no not. I bar to accepting it, even on, even on the surface, like conceptually, as long as there's evidence, of course. But like, I don't have an immediate block like yeah. you did. The, I don't, I wonder... the big thing to me was in Robert Jordan's original you know mm. mm -hmm. outline that Galad was a channeler and and from that post all of the elements that existed in that are retained yeah in the new version but in well a not all form. but but many of them except that rand thing. rand didn't sleep with more gays yeah right rand didn't <laughs> and Galad didn't wow. turn to the shadow so so but elaine yeah. um your mother <laughs> but yeah so that was my big like uh uh lore point and i would love to hear from our listeners if you guys think uh galad could learn how to channel uh we, we'll have a post up on our facebook group you know the inking out loud podcast there 
for this episode. So let us know what you think. Very cool. Definitely, yeah. It's super cool. I don't, I don't know if I want to... I want to make sure they don't vote for how cool it is. Make sure you vote for how likely it is, not how cool it is. Yeah, because yeah, if exactly, it's how cool exactly. it is, it's going to win every time. That's, I mean, that's an can, awesome thing to consider. Let us know if you think it's cool. <laughs> you can definitely let right, us know, let that us know if you hate it. <laughs> but, uh, that's yeah, such I, an awesome idea. I think that brings us to the final draft. It does. Yeah. I think so. Rob, kick us off. Okay, so... <laughs> For my entry in this particular final draft, I've brought what I believe to be the first cider ever featured on Inking Ooh. Out Loud. At least it's the first cider I've brought to the show. I, I don't know if you have brought a cider before. I don't remember. I don't think I have. This here is from Generations Wine Company in Toronto. And it definitely has a solid white wine kind of finish to an apple cider. It's, I mean, it it's generations wine company and mm. i will say it's honestly a little hard to distinguish the difference between this particular cider and an act a cider cider in an actual <laughs> white wine um but this is an ode to jolene maza and her antagonizing Ooh. of tuan believe it or not and deserved okay. or not um <laughs> I may or may not have subliminally alluded to this earlier in the episode but this cider is called don't poke the bear Nice. nice. Don't do it, Jolene. Like Just it. don't do it. Trust me. Oh yeah. That's a bear. Don't poke it. It's it's only subliminal in the yeah. sense that Drew uses the like in every episode. Like I see the beer that he has. Yeah. And I'll notice when he subtly adds that like little that that oh, reminder to everyone. It's like I all right, did it. I need to I need to episode. get their minds ready. I, I remember. You did. You yeah. did. Yeah. yeah no. Very I, I, cool. I, I definitely did it earlier in the episode. You'll be able to hear it <laughs> in the po- in the uh, in the edits for sure. But I also want to read out the, the really quickly the stupid little description they put on here because it says "Don't poke the bear." Five point eight percent alcohol by volume. It says, "I am a true Canadian beer. I am polite. Sorry, bear. I am polite until poked. Sorry. You have to add the sorry in there. I don't check and don't is d apostrophe o n t." I don't check from behind. I put friends first, put bullies in their place, and put the apostrophe wherever I like. And I can straightforward Hmm. and... Hold on. And I am straightforward and real in all that I do, just like the pure local apples that roar from this can. So, I was sitting there in the line at the grocery store, and I read that, and I went, all right, okay, okay. I'm going to read that one out on the podcast. It It was witty. I, I appreciate Man, it. But also, Jolene, if America, if America ever invaded Canada, Canada would apologize for making it necessary. Don't poke the bear. Don't gonna like, do it. You don't gonna poke the bear at all. And also, kind of on like the shadow spawn at Algarin's Manor. I mean, you've got Rand, you got Loghain, you've got Olivia and Catswain. Oh, don't poke the bear. Poke the, it's not gonna oh, work yeah, out. Don't poke those don't bears, do it. but definitely poke the Trolloc bears. Definitely no, 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 no. They poke the bears, but the Often. Trollocs poked the wrong bear and they got. Fucked. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They got fucked on hard. Yep. All right. All right. That's what I drank so, for today. I have been drinking a golden IPA from the Brooklyn Brewery, which irritates me to no end because the brewery is actually located in California. Is it really? <laughs> the beer. Yeah. No, it's, well, it's, it's, it's in California. Yeah. It, it, Brooklyn Brewing is in Brooklyn. 
uh, they just they have expanded greatly and they have a uh, contract brewed out to several places that, around the that US. makes me feel slightly better yeah. thank you for that uh, it was a nice little 5.5 I, I generally don't like ipas but this one was much more my my kind of style uh, it was very uh, crisp uh, nice and delicious perfect thing for uh, wheel of time book i think um it's just called defender which is pretty metal, although not directly related to anything that we were discussing. <laughs> Drew, what have you? So I have also been drinking an IPA. Another this IPA? Is a, a, a hazy IPA. Oh. But it's a hazy IPA brewed with wheat and oats, which is different. It's also brewed with uh, Citra, Mosaic, and Eldorado hops, which I'm going to be honest, like I get the Eldorado out of it. I don't get a lot of the like fruity citrusy mosaic and citra out of it like that those like oat oats and like wheat in there come through a lot it's a it's a strange hazy ipa but it's good i like it anyway it, it's not unfortunately specific to the first half of this book like i said i was going to do dragon bloom but i couldn't uh couldn't get it because it's not available right now but it is good for the wheel of time and this is called mirror universe oh nice. my god this is something that would have been perfect for the great hunt why it the hell would, would you not bring this on for the great hunt part one uh i did not uh i did not have access to this beer back then oh so. my god yeah what a mm. fucking tie-in for the wheel of time yeah Nicely so not, not the best beer i've ever done but uh you know, still pretty good. I do want to point out that the the Brooklyn Defender that Pat brought, uh, I just used that for um, uh, Ballad of Black Tom that we recorded earlier today. And yes. you will have probably listened to a few weeks ago. Um, if you're a patron. Uh, yeah, that, oh, that sorry, brewery sorry, is, it is located in Brooklyn. They just, they've gotten big enough that they can brew out of other places. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's founded by a couple of native New Yorkers. So. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I, do you guys have it? You know, any more, any more points you want to bring up before nope, we wrap this thing up? As far yeah, as final thoughts, looking... will be saved for Knife of Dreams Part Two. Yep, looking forward to Part Two. Okay, so this has been episode, oh dear, fifty-seven. Fifty-seven, you nailed it, boy. Uh, of inking out loud. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's. That, that has been quite a, a journey so far, and especially recently. I mean, we, we've had some... Ah, uh, oh man. How, how do I even put it? Some, like... <laughs> craziness. Yeah, some craziness. But uh, next up, we'll, we'll be heading into Knife of Dreams Part 2. We'll be finishing the book. And, uh, you know... If you want to get access to that check us out on patreon it's patreon.com inkingoutloud where you can get early access to episodes as well as our monthly newsletter rob and i write monthly short fiction for you guys uh we have episodes on short stories and general you know science fiction fantasy topics but as always i am your host drew mccaffrey with me is my co-host rob santos yep and our sound engineer and special guest, Patrick McCaffrey. 
Thanks for listening, guys. And if you subscribe to Patreon, I won't take my clothes off for you. <laughs> what an ultimatum so, there. Thanks for listening to that. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.